The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gambling Podcast are now presented by WinBet. WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds, WinBet has what you need to win. Sign up today, bet $100, and get $100 at sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash WinBet. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. State restrictions apply. We're also brought to you by the NBA Gambling Podcast. They have an MLK Day bingo board, a $100 gift card for every bingo that is hit details exclusively on the SGPN app. And welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. It is currently Sunday afternoon, January 15th, and I'm your host, as always, Scott Reichel. But I'm not going solo. I'm joined by co-host Sam Jacob once again. And it's time for the Australian Open. Officially, it starts in a couple hours. So Sam and I are going to go through some actual match plays for the first round. We should be doing this basically every round. So keep an eye out for more tennis episodes, including maybe an updated outrights video later on in the week. Maybe. I'm not sure. But the point is, we will be having a lot more episodes for the Grand Slam in Australia. But I mentioned that he's on the show. Time to fully introduce him. Sam, how's it going with you? You excited? Uh, yeah, I'm ready for it to to kick off. Or I don't even know what I should call it for tennis. Uh, Serve off. And I don't even know if off should be involved there. I don't. I don't know what's gonna. Anyway, I'm happy for it to get started. We did a whole uh, podcast about our outrights, and we're now going to do a breakdown of. A bunch of these matches coming up, so let's get right into it. Yep, and for the outrights, a reminder, since I said I would consider Nori if he won in his match, I'd roll it over, he lost, so I will not be taking Nori in my outrights. So just remember that if you ended up listening to the outright show or if you have not done that yet, then just a reminder that Nori did lose, so I'm not officially taking him as an outright. But overall, I am going to ask you, though, uh, since... We already covered the outrights, and since we did have a couple more matches over the past couple of days, the final in particular with the Nori match against Gasquet and with the Batista Goot match against Quan, I do want to ask you about those guys in particular because I know we mentioned Nori and Batista Goot, and they both ended up losing in the final. We mentioned it briefly in the last episode, but I kind of want to just hammer it home again. How concerned are you about? potential fatigue in this atmosphere and are you going out of your way to potentially fade either guy because they're favored and i'm kind of curious what you think because kwan had a cinderella run there as a lucky loser and now he has a competitive match in the first round basically i'm just asking in general are you automatically looking to fade some of these guys or are you just staying away uh, I'm not. I'm not going to automatically fade these guys. I'm specifically talking about Cameron Nori here. His draw is just too weak for me to go and target him as a fade. Um, I'm not picking him to win the quarter now. You know, in my outrights, I pick two other guys that I thought can win the quarter because of the fatigue factor. But I'm not going out of my way to target him on the fatigue factor. Yeah, well, I do want to ask, and also, since we are briefly mentioning the finals and kind of recapping what happened there, Batista Agut lost to Quan, thrilling three-set match. Nori absolutely punted his match against Gasquet. Shout out to Gasquet for winning his first ATP title since 2018. Uh, he was up a set, and he was up, I believe it was 3 nothing with a break point to make it 4 nothing. Or you know, I think it was love 40, actually. I think it was three love, love 40 to go up a double break. And then he choked the set away and ended up losing. Do you think a loss that heartbreaking can potentially linger emotionally? Or do you think that they're professional athletes as a grand slam just move on? 
Well, I've mentioned before in our podcast in the past that's the the worst single thing to do uh, when getting ready for the next tournament is losing the finals because of the fatigue factor and because of the uh, emotional factor of losing a tournament instead of actually getting there and then winning the entire thing. So it's definitely not a place you want to be. It's the worst place you uh, you are at, at actually, unless you're injured, of course. Um, but a guy like Nori, a guy like Batista, our veteran guys, are those big name guys. I think we'll push through, and I just can't target. But well, well, on the other hand, though, a guy like Juan, I wouldn't mind not targeting. But he has a close matchup against Christopher Eubanks coming up. Uh, even though he did win the tournament, he still does have that fatigue factor. He might have—I don't know if he went out celebrating or something, but maybe a little something there. I just don't know. He only has a day break. I think he's supposed to play on Monday at 12 a.m. Eastern time. So we'll see about that. But uh, that's someone I would consider someone lower down or not as experienced or as a veteran player as Batista Agut or Nori. Yeah, I was kind of just wondering mostly about the losers first because of the emotional just pain and suffering because they lost the tournament as well. Quan, though. I think the price is decent at minus 150, minus 145 against Eubanks. No offense to him. I'm just not a very big fan of Eubanks. I think he's an okay player. Very, very tall American player. I think his strokes are a little bit inconsistent. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, also shout out to Gasquet. He also has a close match against Umbert, which should be interesting. We might get into that match a little bit later. But uh, before we actually get into any of the first round match previews, do you want to take a quick word from our sponsors. WinBet is the official online sportsbook of the SportsCam Podcast Network. WinBet is active in a bunch of states, and there are a ton of ways to win, including live betting and same-game parlays. The NBA playoffs are, are, are the NFL playoffs are here. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. Ready to play? Sign up today to receive a special offer. Bet $100 and get $100. Limited to state availability. So much to choose from. And all you have to do is head over to sportscampodcast.com slash winbet. So then we send you the sportscampodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-T. Offer subject to change terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. The NBA Gambling Podcast is also doing a special basketball bingo giveaway for all the games happening on MLK Day. All you have to do is subscribe to the NBA Gambling Podcast YouTube page and then click the sign-up link in the app. Get all the links exclusively on the SGPN app. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished briefly discussing uh, what happened in the finals, both in Auckland and Adelaide 2. Also, forgot to mention, I did go 0-2 in my picks. I thought both matches would be close. Unfortunately, I picked Gasquet to win the first set. He lost the first set and won the match. Extra painful. And then I had Batista Agut minus two and a half games, and he was up a break on two separate occasions in the third set, and he punted it, and he lost the third set in a breaker. So heartbreaker there, but two great matches. Now it's time to get into the fun stuff, the reason why all of you clicked onto this episode. It's time to go through some first-round matches, and we're going to start off with the... Made headliners. We're going to start off with the main guy here, the number one ranked player in this event. No, it is not Djokovic. It is actually Rafael Nadal, and he's having a very interesting matchup against Draper at some point Sunday night. And to look at the actual odds for that match, Nadal is favored, duh, but the line might seem a little bit short to some people. Uh, the spread is about four and a half, minus 115 on Nadal, plus 
uh, 105 on Draper for the plus four and a half. The money line is around plus two, uh, plus 220 for Draper, minus 264 Nadal. And the total games here are over under 39. We saw Draper have a good run there in his last event, did beat Kakanov, went on a pretty solid run. We know Nadal's Nadal. He's defending champion. However, with the injuries and all, we know that he has not looked that sharp pretty much since the U.S. Open. Even in the U.S. Open, he really didn't look that sharp anyway, which is why Tiafo beat him. But Sam, I'm going to ask you first. First of all, do you think Draper's got a shot to pull off the upset? I think he definitely has a shot here. Am I going to say that he's going to actually do it? I am absolutely not going to do that. But I do think that it can be closer than what you would just think when looking at these two guys, given the factor of his injuries and given his recent performances as of right now. Jack Draper does have that fatigue factor, though. So I think it could get very interesting, but I think it could be relatively close when it comes to the spread or the over under here so when it comes to those two plays i'm going to go on the draper side of things which is the plus four and a half or the plus five and a half and i'm looking more towards the over of 38 and a half rather than the under because i don't see really a blowout um happening here yeah i feel like i'm tempted to go with the over in games but the problem is i can see nadal or draper winning a set potentially 6-3 or 6-2. We know Nadal, when he gets into a role returning, he can really be a menace and go for some 6-1 sets even. So I'm a bit concerned maybe with the added pressure. Draper's an up-and-coming guy. He's had a couple of nice wins. He beat Tsitsipas last year. Facing Nadal in a Grand Slam is definitely a, just a completely different animal emotionally. Are you concerned at all about Draper maybe coming out extremely tight in a matchup against arguably the greatest player of all time? Um, just a little bit with the fatigue factor, but it's a matchup that's, you know, I don't want to say it's a good matchup, a matchup for Draper because he is playing Rafa Nadal, but just based off the performance and the previous injury for Nadal, it's kind of a good, the best situation where he could play someone in the top five. So I'm not really going for the factor of fatigue here. I just think it's going to be a close matchup uh, when it comes to these bets. And like I said before, I'm going to go on the Draper side of things. Um, I wouldn't mind even going at the player games, going either one over for Draper of over 17 and a half or Nadal 20 and a half. Cause if it goes four sets, most likely uh, each one of those would hit depending on who you think is going to win the match. If you think Nadal is going to win the match, then he'll have at least three of them. Now he had six, that'd be 18. Then he just needs to go over 20 and a half, which would just be another three. So he could lose a set six, three, but if, even if Draper loses here, if he wins one set, then he gets six right there and he would need 18 to get to the over 17 and a half, which um, if you divide that, if you get go 11 and a half divided by uh, three, you just need about four games each. So I think that's definitely possible there too. Yeah, uh, I think I'm with you with the Draper plus the games there. I think it should be a competitive match. To go through Nadal's recent matches, by the way, so he beat Gasquet in the third round of the U.S. Open last year in straight sets. Then he lost to Tiafo in four. Then after that, to go through the singles matches, he lost to Tommy Paul in three in Paris. Then he lost to Fritz in straight sets and Felix in straight sets, beat Rude 7-5-7-5. The match technically was meaningless for Rude because he already advanced to the next round. So I'm not sure if Rude fully gave it his all. I'm assuming he did, but Nadal did win that match. Then in the United Cup this year, 
He ended up losing to Nori in three. That was December 30th. And then ended up losing to Diminor in three on the 2nd of January. So Nadal beat Rude, but that means in his last six singles matches, including the fourth round match against Tiafo, he's one and five. Actually, no, sorry. He's one and six in his last seven singles matches. Just throwing that out there. So mm-hmm. Nadal, I don't think he's an auto win. I don't think that it's stealing at minus 270, minus 260. He might win the match. He might not. But I'm just letting you know, he has lost six of his last seven matches. And there's a reason why Draper might seem cheap. I don't think they're handing you free money with Nadal. That's what I'm trying to say. We agree on that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go with, if I'm, I'm going to play here with plus four and a half on the Draper side. Yeah, I think I would probably look at five and a half at maybe minus 130. I kind of want that extra game in there. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I do think that Draper's going to keep it close. I think Nadal probably wins, but I think it will be a four or five set thriller. So stay tuned for that. But to look at some of the other guys that I do want to talk about, going through the actual card on Sunday night, I don't see many very, very big names per se for the casual fan. Djokovic is playing on Monday or technically Tuesday morning, whenever you want to call it. Kyrgios is playing at that point as well. Uh, are there any other matches from the actual Sunday schedule, Sunday night schedule, early Monday morning schedule, that you feel like is a bit underrated in terms of uh, quality? Because for the headliners, most of the main guys that I'd say uh, ESPN or you know some other broadcast would show, I feel like most of those high-profile guys are playing tomorrow. Well, at the end of the day, on, on Monday, I guess, um, early early Monday, I guess you can call it. We'll call it day uh, one have, and day two. We'll go that way. Uh, day one, you have the Medvedev-Giron matchup, uh, where Medvedev's a minus 2,500 over there. Uh, he's uh, a minus eight and a half spread against him with an over-under of around 29 and a half, um, which is uh, definitely a headliner matchup as well for the Monday end of Monday. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a headliner matchup for one guy there. You also have the Sitsipas Hallis match in Felix. So, of course, you have a couple of top 10 guys, but Hallis is 2 nothing over Sitsipas. So, in, in lifetime, just saying. Yeah, I mean, Hallis is plus 530 on the money line. So, if you want to have some fun there, Hallis took Djokovic to 7 6 7 6 in uh, Adelaide. So, he has shown pretty be good spread opportunity. Yeah, it's pretty solid form. But I kind of brought it up because Nadal is a headliner, but the line is actually close. Because Draper's like plus two twenty, every other person Giron is nine fifty, Hallis is five thirty. The other fun one, uh, which I mean, I mean, it's a fun throwback out the Canadian matchup between Felix and Pospisil, uh, which doesn't really mean anything to me. But the point is that you have some Canadians <laughs> going at it, so maybe Pospisil knows something. I doubt it, but yeah. Uh, if you had to pick any of those matches where a long shot has a serious chance. We're both going with Hallis, right? We're not picking him to beat Sitsipas, but historically he's done pretty well against him. Yeah, exactly. He's up to nothing against him. I would lean more towards the getting plus money on the spread. Yeah. Uh, one of those alternate spreads that will give you like maybe a plus 120. Maybe take him um, to win a set. Rather than the money line. Oh, yeah, maybe to win a set. I like that too if you get a little plus money there as well. Uh, but if there's one guy that can lose early, definitely I'm going with the, the opponent of Sitsipas, and that's Hallis. Yeah, but uh, to move on to day two, to go through some of the other main guys, of course, everyone's talking about Novak Djokovic, who is having his first Australian Open match in over a year. He's won this tournament nine times. It's not exactly shocking that he's a massive favorite. 
And I'm sure Baina is well already packing his. I'm sure he didn't even unpack for this trip because he's getting 11 games. Djokovic on the money line is roughly minus 10,000. The over under is 26. I'm going to stick with the total in this one to try to be generous to Baina. Do you think he can win three games per set? Uh, it's going to be a little tough for him. I, I don't even, I don't know if he could even get to nine, to be honest with you. Um, I could definitely see some six ones, six twos there. Um, so I, I definitely do not think that he, he could get to even nine. I, I don't think he'll be able to get there. The one thing I don't understand, though, is why is the spread 11, but the total's 26? Um, because... I see 11 and a half for Djokovic at plus 120, 10 and okay. a half at minus, minus 145, 26 and a half over under over at plus 115. So we're around there. I'm, try I'm trying to do the math in my head, though, because if he's going to cover or even push the 11, they're looking at basically 6-3, 6-2, And that gets you to 8-16. That gets you to around 25. So it's kind of correlated. But aren't you just better off taking the under or, or taking the over if you think Baina is going to have a shot at covering because if Djokovic wins a set like 6-1 or 6-0 you have a hypothetical tiebreaker draw like for a prayer Hail Mary kind of I guess I guess so it's it's more of the lines of the seven fives out there versus the six fours books like to do an over under 20 and a half but it's a minus four and a half spread um so you have the option there like if you have seven five six three you're losing the over but you actually hit on the minus five, four and a half mm -hmm. uh so i think it's that kind of situation that we have here um i don't think it'll matter either way um I'm he's going gonna kill him most likely i'm, I'm just asking yeah, I'm going on the Djokovic side of things. Um, six three, six three, six two, or six one will get you there, uh, no matter where you look at it. So, uh, I'm going on the unders and the uh, spreads on Djokovic. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm going to stay away. That line's a little bit too large for me, but I think he should win comfortably. Uh, to look at the other matchup, though, that I did want to talk about, it was Kyrgios, who is facing off against Sifi uh, Ulan. And Kyrgios is minus five and a half games at around minus 115. Uh, Sifiulin Sef is around uh, minus 105 on the plus five and a half. Moneyline, Kyrgios around minus 600, and his opponent is around plus 450. Over-under is 37. I like Kyrgios in this spot. I think that five and a half is too low. He's been playing the best tennis of his career for the past year or so, and you're looking at Sifiulin, and he's lost each of his last two matchups or matches in straight sets. Lost 6 4, 6 3 to Shapo, lost 6 4, 6 4 to Thompson. If you're losing 6 4, 6 4 to Thompson, I'm not picking it to keep it close against Kyrgios. I think Kyrgios is probably going to dominate. I'm not sure he gets broken in this match because we know Kyrgios is such a good server. Do you want to make a case for the dog here, or do you just think Kyrgios is going to roll? Because it feels like Kyrgios is going to win in straight sets, probably with a 6 3 in there. Yeah, I'm I'm very surprised that just even looking at this money line, seeing guys like uh, Djokovic or Medvedev um, at such high money lines, and then you see uh, just Kyrgios here at a minus 600. I would expect it to be more in the minus 1000s range, just like, let's just say Taylor Fritz, I think is minus 2000, something like that. So I am a bit surprised there. I just don't think Sefa is going to be able to keep up. Like you said before, he lost to Jordan Thompson 6-4, 6-4. So uh, I don't think there's really a shot there, uh, especially when we're in Australia. Yeah, and he's also just not in great form, losing two straight matches. So I find that line weird. I like Kyrgios there. Uh, besides that, I do want to ask you about one other match, which... Well, Kyrgios, what exactly oh, are you looking at? Minus five and a half? 
Yeah, I like the five and a half. I, I think that there's going to be at least one six three set in there if Kyrgios serves first. The issue is Kyrgios always prefers to defer. He likes to return first. So if he wins the coin toss, then he might end up having a couple of six four sets. But the point is, I think he'll break one time per set minimum. And I'm not sure he gets broken in this match because he's such a good serve. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. 100%. Okay. Uh, so moving on to another match I do want to talk about, which is going to be tough to handicap, but I want to bring it up. You do have the return of Alexander Zverev. He's laying seven and a half games against uh, Varius. Uh, minus 1250 on the money line. Varius is plus 800 on the money line the other way uh, with potential injury retirements counting after one set being completed. And the over-under is 31 and a half games. Is there any chance you'd lay anything with Zverev in this match? Because I don't know how you're supposed to. No, I can't. I can't even do that. Um, like I, I mentioned in the previous podcast, she's lost three straight matches in the two in the United Cup, one against Auger in the World Tennis League. I just, I just can't do it. I can't touch it. There's no way that I think Zverev is going to come out and fully be in form where he. It's going to absolutely annihilate him. So I don't know if there will be a tie break in there or, or something like that that will, will completely obliterate the under uh, or the spread in this case. So I'm not going on the Zverev side on this one. I'm not either, but I figured people would want to talk about it because he is returning seven and a half a lot. Now, Varius is a clay guy. He almost beat Felix in the French Open last year, but... I think that seven and a half is a bit large for a guy that's basically played exhibition matches. I, I, I yeah, think Lesh that line's a little bit crazy. We lost to Leshika six four six two. So yeah, and uh, what? Uh, yeah, Leshika's pretty good, but in general, I just think Zverev. I need to. I need to wait and see before I evaluate anything about him. But I think it's going to wrap it up for the main headliner guys. I think now it's time to get into some of the underrated matches. Maybe we're looking at. Sam, I'm going to let you go first. I know both of us might have a couple of plays already in store, but I am going to ask you, is there one match or a couple matches, one you want to mention first that you're looking at that you think has some value? Yeah, I'm guy, well, I want to do this chronologically here. If I can, give me one moment. I'll pull up the time frames. Uh, but I got tomorrow, I guess that's next day. I got today or t Monday match, I got... Hijikata versus Hoffman, which are two guys you may have never have heard of. Um, but I think that this is a, a really, really close match between them. I don't think there's any chance either one of them wins in straight sets. Uh, neither one of them are really in tremendous, tremendous form here. So I'm looking at something, not even the spread. I'm looking at the over. I see it only at 37 and a half where it's a coin flip matchup, which I think if it goes four sets, there should be absolutely no problem hitting that number, especially if we hit a tiebreaker in there where you automatically have 13 in the first set or in one set. Um, which means that you'd only need to get to 25 uh, with the rest of the match, which is, would be three sets there. So I'm going to go with the over 37.5 in the Hoffman-Hijikata match um, on Monday, I guess, m tonight, Monday morning or Monday afternoon in Australia, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, uh, I definitely think that that plays appealing. I guess the only concern would be if the servers aren't good enough to actually warrant getting a tie break but it's a competitive match as you said it's minus 118 minus 102 so it's basically a pick em. and you're looking at a competitive match uh since you brought up a game a match with a total of 37 and a half i think that's going to be a perfect segue for me because i have a match with an exact total of 37 and a half as well and i'm going to take the over it is a matchup between chorich and uh what how do you pronounce again leshka 
Lechica. Lechica? Yeah, thank you. Lechica. So I don't know if I'm doing it correctly, but yeah. I always Lech- pronounce it Lechica, but I know that that's wrong, so I'll go with Lechica. Lechica. So yeah, so Chorich and Lechica, I like the over 37 and a half at minus 120. Chorich has had at least 12 games in a set in each of his last five matches. So he's had a couple of seven fives, couple seven sixes. So as you said, a tiebreaker is huge, obviously, for the over. The fact that he's had a lot of those in the last couple of matches, I think, bodes well for the over in this spot. Meanwhile, you're looking at Leshka, and he went three sets against Nori at Auckland, including one tiebreak. So Nori had a great chance to win the tournament. He's still a top 12 player in the world, and Leshka gave him a serious run for his money. And sure, it's worth mentioning, has not played an Australian Open match since 2021. Uh, or since since 2020, I'm, but I, no, since 2021 because he missed 2022. So he has not been in a three out of five match in the Australian Open in over a year, basically two years. And I wonder if fatigue might play in. Maybe uh, Leshka falls behind two nothing, and George kind of runs out of gas a little bit. But I do like the fact that George has been in a decent amount of long sets, and the fact that Leshka was in good form in Auckland leading up to this event. I like the over 37 and a half. I don't think either guy wins in straight sets. I think it's going to be a bit of a war. You have any thoughts on that match? Yeah. Um, do you have any any concern of what we've seen about Korch in the past year or so, or in the past, I guess, six months with how he did, how he did so well and surprised us um, throughout each one of those tournaments? I think that maybe yes and no, but he did have a pretty good showing there in the United Cup. I don't believe he won many matches, but he took Sitsipas to three. He was very competitive throughout that. So I think I am not really that worried about it just because I do like what I've seen overall from him recently. So I think to answer your question, I'm not that concerned about it because I like what I saw in the tournaments leading up to the Australian Open. Yeah, and I can understand that in U.S. Open when Chorus played, he had um, a five out of three out of five match against Cockard that went five sets. Uh, he actually won that one and then lost to Brooksby three nothing. And I don't see really Lechka putting on three nothing on Chorus. So I can fully understand that, but to really justify my option, my position on my on the first matchup I mentioned, this is what we're just talking about is a Chorus matchup that Chorus is minus two seventy eight, where the over under is thirty seven and a half. The same thing is for Hoffman Hijikata, which shouldn't be 37 and a half, and it's a coin flip match, so minus 110 match. That's why I love it so much on that over on that one, too. Yeah, I think the main argument there is that uh, Hoffman and Hishikata probably aren't as good as servers as Leshka and George, mostly George, who's a very solid server. But yes, I do agree about that over. Now to move on to your second pick or second match you're interested in. Sam, what do you like? Uh, I'm looking at one for Tuesday. I guess Tuesday Australian time, and it is going to be the one between Jan Leonard Struff and Tommy Paul. And I'm seeing Tommy Paul here at minus 255, minus three and a half spread against Jan Leonard Struff. I just don't think Jan Leonard Struff has it in him anymore. I think Tommy Paul has been putting up decent performances here to be able to overwhelm Jan Lennerstroff and Jan Lennerstroff needs to get a serve on being 6-6 and all. He needs to have a serve in that game and I just haven't seen it from him recently. I haven't seen it at all from him in a long, long time. I think Tommy Paul will be able to break him a few times and even if this goes four sets, I think we'll be able to cover the small minus three and a half here with Tommy Paul. Yeah, Paul, I've given out time and time again on the show, so I'm not going to have to endorse the play. You know, I obviously like Tommy Paul. Uh, So 
Uh, looking at my second pick that I'm tempted by, I already mentioned Curios. It's technically my third play. Uh, I am going to mention an underdog on the spread that I like. It's in the Krajinovic versus Rune match. I'm shocked the spread is six and a half. I really like uh, Krajinovic in this spot at plus six and a half games at minus 105. You can take a heavily juiced seven and a half if you're a little bit paranoid about it. But Rune has only played one singles match since November 7th, and he lost to Nishioka in Adelaide 1. Rune has also played in one Australian Open main draw match in his entire career. He lost to Kwan in five sets. Krajinovic, though, has been successful to some degree in the Australian Open in the past couple of years. He's won at least one Australian Open main draw match in three of the last four years. And Krajinovic also won two matches in Pune before losing to Bonzi. But Rune, I, I like as a player. I know he's top 10, and he really just came on late. But in Australia, he has not fared well in the past and basically has no historical success in the Australian Open because he's so young. And once again, he's played one singles match since November 7th. He, I don't think he should be laying six and a half here. Krajinovic is a crafty veteran who I think can win a set here, maybe win the match. But I think that there's value on him to keep this match close. Yeah, I, I was looking at that match as well. And um, Krajinovic is actually, in my opinion, a very underrated player um, when it comes to even hard courts. Uh, we saw Rune was able to beat Djokovic, but the, like you said before, he hasn't played in such a long time. And the over-under from what I see here is 34 and a half. I think that's very, very small for what I think could easily go to a four-setter. Um, so I'm with you on that one, but I would, I'm going with the total games over minus 125, 34 and a half. Yeah, I think that that match should be a bit of a war underratedly. Maybe if you want to do a round robin money line parlay on some guys, I think Krajinovic is worth a look. That's all I'm saying. Uh, but you have any other uh, plays you want to talk about? Uh, there's a few other matches that we have here. I'm going to go back to a Tuesday matchup. And this one's going to be an interesting one for those who like the Americans um, in this tournament or just likes Americans in general. It's Isner versus Matt Reno. And I just want to talk about it because, you know, it is John Isner, who we haven't seen put up the greatest performances, but we all like him here in America. Well, some of us do. Uh, but uh, I, I, he's I, I like him for the tie breaks. I don't think he's a great tennis player, but he's been very good for <laughs> set betting and for overs for. I don't know, 10 years, 10 plus years at this point. Absolutely. And we have an over here that is extremely high at 42 and a half um, at minus 120. But Isner is actually eight and one against Manorino here. And I think that there is a possibility, there is a possibility that this match does not end in all tie breaks. I think that there's a chance that there could be a couple of breaks here. And at 42 and a half, I think that is ridiculously high, uh, even though it could be just tie break, tie break, tie break. But I think that's just a number that could be uh, I'm, I'm leaning towards the under in the 42 and a half. If there is no tie break, tie break, tie break in this match, because you, if you if you just have a four set match and you have a tie break and a six, three and maybe some six fours in there, or maybe one set that goes to six, two. I think the number is way too high for it. I think the only thing that concerns me is the fact that Isner lost to Barreri 
in his tune-up match for this event. So Isner is really just not in great form right now. So maybe I don't Manorino. mind. I go either side. Either no, side. I, I get it. The point is, Isner, you know, is not going to break Manorino that often, even though Manorino is not a great server. Manorino is a junk ball hitter. It's what he does. Hits the ball extremely flat and tries to keep the ball in play. I I think you're probably right, but I always feel paranoid taking unders with Isner. Fair enough. I mean, I could definitely understand that. Uh, he did have a he, he did have his last set that even though he he did lose to Barrera, which just went six three, and you've had a ton of these matches where there have been tie breaks, but there has been sets like six three in there. So I think that I just think the number forty two and a half is just assuming that everything goes to a tie break, and I'm just not assuming that so quickly. And if Isner or Manorino win in straight sets, he went automatically. So that's also Absolutely. a bit of insurance in there. But uh, moving on to another play that I like, I got two more. Uh, I'm actually going to mention a guy who just won a tournament last week, uh, Gasquet, who won his first singles tournament since 2018, as he was able to come from uh, behind and beat Nori. He's minus 130 against Umber. I think 130 is a bargain. Now, I know fatigue is going to be a potential issue, I don't think Umber is that good of a player. I, I know that he has won. I think he's won an ATP event before. Maybe he's been a runner-up a couple times. But he's a young French player who is dynamic. He's got talent. The issue is the unforced error count is crazy with Umber. He just can't keep the ball in play. And to look at Gasquet's form, I just mentioned he won a title, so he's in good form. Umber's lost each of the last four matches in straight sets. He has not won a match since October 26th, he's not won a singles match in basically three, four months. And yet he's only like plus 115 on the money line, which I don't understand at all. Umber has not been playing good tennis lately. And to look at Gasquet's head-to-head against Umber, he's 2-0. He's 2-0 straight up against Umber, including a matchup in last year's Australian Open and Gasquet won in four sets. So it's, a, it's one of those rare spots you occasionally see on the draw. You have the immediate rematch from last year's first round, and they're going at it again. But Gasquet's 2-0 against him. He just won a tournament. And as I said before, Umber has not won a singles match in basically three, four months. I, I, I think that this price is extremely weird. Fatigue could be a concern, but I'm going to trust the guy in better form with the undefeated head-to-head record. Give me Gasquet minus 130 on the money line. Yeah, I like that a lot, actually. I think SK will be able to go into this tournament a bit strong, and then um, as fatigue kicks in, maybe in the second or third round, depending on who he's going to get up against, then we're going to see him you know, slow down and, I don't know, maybe even retire from it. He might also have a bit less fatigue, because compared to the usual tournament, he had one less match, because he had a walkover in the semis. Which helps. Yeah, yeah, but still, he still had to go through four different matches to get there. Um, I think he's just going to come out strong. I agree with you there. And um, I think Humbert is not playing the best tennis, uh, no matter how way, how you slice it. And he hasn't been playing his best tennis for a while now, especially on the hard court. So I think because of those factors and because Gasquet will have, um, you know, that victory uh, behind him. And yeah, I think he's just going to come in strong. I like that a lot when it comes to, against Humbert. And I exaggerated a little bit. It's been two plus months it hasn't been three or four but the point is it's been a while since bears actually won a match and i think this line's a little bit short uh any other matches you want to talk about uh i mean we got so many matches here i'm just excited to see it and get going here um at seven o'clock eastern time uh, that's all the matches that i've got for sides that i i like the most 
All right, uh, I got one more. Uh, I'm going to look at a matchup between the guy that actually uh, ended up retiring or or withdrawing in his potential semifinal matchup against Gasquet. I'm going to take Lestien on the money line at plus 107 against Montero. Uh, Lestien had won three straight matches, and then he ended up, of course, you know, quitting mid-tournament, trying to save some energy there. So maybe I'm a bit concerned to some degree if that was injury-based, or maybe he just realized it wasn't worth expending all of his energy when the payouts are a lot bigger in the actual Grand Slams. But he's going up against Montero. Montero is kind of a clay court specialist, been around for a while. Lestien's really annoying to play against because he kind of comes from the same school of like a Gil Simone, where he doesn't put much pace on the ball, but he keeps the ball in play all the time. And Montero is, once again, a clay specialist, but he's a guy who I think is going to be tempted into a bunch of unforced errors. And if Lestien can keep the ball in play, which is a specialty, I think for a guy that just won three straight matches in his last event on hard court in similar climate with New Zealand and Australia, I think plus money is a pretty good price, in my opinion, against the clay court specials, basically. Not going to have much on it, but plus 107, I kind of question why Montero is a favorite in this match. Yeah, I can understand. That. Like you said, he's the clay court specialist there. So I, I'm, you get them plus, plus money there. I don't mind it at all either. Montero's not atrocious on hard court. He's not Del Bonus, who's absolutely useless on a hard court. But Lestien's best surface is hard, and I think that it should translate well into long rallies, and I think that eventually Montero's unforced errors might cause him to self-destruct. But I think that's going to wrap it up for the actual uh, picks that we have. Sam, I do want to ask you, though. Uh, I'm going to ask you first, lock and dog pick or your best bets here? You could pick one of the ones you mentioned or even go off the board. What's your favorite potential minus price play? Uh, minus price play, I'm going to go with the over 37.5 in the Humphman Kijikata match. I just don't think and I don't understand why they're just keeping it at 37.5 here when you see matches at minus 250 really be put at 37.5. These coin flip matches are usually at 39.5 or 40.5, given that they think that it's going to go at least four sets, which I definitely think it will. So if it goes four sets here and we have at least a tie break, and we don't even have to have a tie break here in the least, um, I think the over should hit, and I'm liking it here at minus 120. Okay, and what about any potential underdog price or maybe a guy you didn't mention or a prop or something at plus money that you think has some value to it? Um, I just I mentioned it before, but I like Tommy Paul against Jan Lennerstruff. I just don't think Jan Lennerstruff is in any form to be so close against Tommy Paul. And I would like even to an alternative. I see a f minus four and a half at plus one hundred. I would consider going at it even to a minus five and a half if it gave me a good plus money. But I do not see it here right now. But I just think Tommy Paul is going to be able to overwhelm him, and I think there is a strong possibility, or there is a good possibility, that he wins in straight sets in this one. And even if he doesn't. He has a good. He could have a good chance of covering either way. All right, and uh, for me, for the lock and dog, I'm tempted by a couple of things here. I think my lock is going to be Curios at five and a half games. I just think that number's too low based on the home crowd being behind him, and I'm not worried about fitness because we just saw him do a charity thing with Djokovic. He's in good spirits. He's happy to be back in Australia, and. He also is coming back for the first time since he was a Wimbledon finalist. So I think that he has a renewed level of 
focus based on what we saw from last year. I know he's got a girlfriend, and that apparently has helped him a lot with his mental actual state. And he's talked about his girlfriend uh, in a praising manner several times, talking about how she kind of reinvigorated his love for tennis. He's been teaching her some tennis on the side, you know, for fun. But the point is, I like the actual just psyche that Curios has shown for the last year or so. Couple blowups here and there, but in Australia, I think the crowd behind him, I think it's going to help him out. And as I mentioned before, Sefi Ulan had lost two straight matches in straight sets, lost 6 4, 6 4 to uh, Jordan Thompson. No offense to Thompson, he's an okay player. Curios is based on talent, a top five player in the world. Can we say that? I, I, I'm assuming you'd agree with that, but curious. Yeah. Curious. Yeah. Yes. So I, top I, five I play right now. Yeah. hundred percent. So I'll he go just, with he him. Got the Wimbledon final. He, he just got to the Wimbledon final. And even in the U S open, he lost to he lost to Kakanov, but he still beat Medvedev. He had a good showing there too. I oh, just yeah. think he's extremely talented. I, I'm going to go with curious minus five and a half games. I do like Gasquet as well, but I think I'm a little bit, scared off to some degree by the fatigue, so I'd rather just take Kyrgios instead. But of course, I still fully endorse all the plays I gave out. And for my dog, I'm contemplating if I want to go nuts with this or if I want to actually kind of go for a safer option with the dog. It's going to involve Krajinovic. The question is, how exactly do I want to go about betting it? Um, Looking at the actual prices here, to win a set, Krajinovic is minus 105, which I don't think counts as a dog, even though the yes price is a bigger, is more juice than the, than that doesn't count, right? I can't get away with that. Minus 105? Yeah. I don't think I can get away with that, right? It has to be no, a plus price. So. Okay. So. so based on those rules, I will go with the alternative here, which is going to be, uh, you know what? I'm going to swing for the fences here. Give me, tra- give me Krajinovic money line. I'm going to take a swing. I see plus 490. I I think that's good enough for me. If you want to be extra safe with it, you can take Krajinovic to win two sets at plus 230. I really see a war in this match. I think it's going to be very close. And I think that since Rune has only played in one match, basically in the last couple of months, which he lost, I'm concerned by current form. He has never won a matchup in the Australian Open main draw before. Krajinovic's won at least one in three of the last four years. He even made a third round, so he has had some decent runs here in the past. Two and a half, uh, Winning two sets is plus 230 if you want to be safe with it. I'm going to go bigger at home here for day one. Uh, I'm going to go with Krajinovic or day two, technically. Give me Krajinovic on the money line at plus 490. Wow. Big play, big play. I'm going like, to go for um, it. Yeah, I'm going to go over 35 and a half at plus 100, but... Uh, I, lo- I like the big big swings. Yeah, ha- maybe half a unit, quarter unit on the two sets and then on the money line, so break it up. But I don't see Rune winning in straight sets. That I definitely don't see. I see this being a serious battle. And I think Krajinovic, we've watched before on several services. Once again, he's better on clay. He's still very formidable. Uh, I think that he's a good enough player to push Rune to the brink. Or Rune to the brink. Yeah, I can I can understand that. I got I got a random. I don't even know if this is trivia. Or ran, I just saw this and I was like really very surprised. I was looking at the Green quarter match and I just see I just saw Green at a current rank of eighty seven. Do you remember him being in the top twenty like yesterday? 
the guy went from Green. He had the, he had the phenomenal run in Wimbledon, and then he barely played any matches after that, as far as I can remember. Well, he he from January of 2022 to July of 2022, he went from 70. I mean, sorry, from 17 to 70. I mean. That's absolutely wild. Oh, wait, I, I, I don't I, even I know, know how that even happened. I, I know why but he didn't make any moves. He played 41 matches last no, year. I, I, got, I know why he didn't make any moves. Wimbledon didn't count because the Russian players couldn't participate. They, they didn't count it for the rankings. I, I don't think I've ever seen a drop like that. That is absolutely nuts. It's a huge drop, but the point is he had a series run at Wimbledon, which I just praised him for, but I forgot since Rublev and Medvedev and the Russian players couldn't actually participate, they voided all points, which is why Djokovic is not ranked within the top like two or top three, even though he won Wimbledon. It's because it didn't count for anything. But to go through the actual results for Green, since you brought it up, Lost to Kyrgios in a deep run of Wimbledon. Lost in Gestad. Lost in Kitzbühel. Uh, 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 lost in the second round of the U.S. Open. Lost in Astana in the first round. Lost in Florence. Uh, lost in the second round of Stockholm. Yeah, he really just hasn't uh, beaten many great players. Or maybe he's been battling a little bit in the challenger circuit for fun. But his Wimbledon performance, which normally would have gotten him a bunch of points, got him no points. And the wild thing is that he's a clay court guy. He's not even yeah. a grass guy. So it's like the 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 time in between January and July is mostly clay if, of any surface. And he went from 17 to 70 real quick. Yeah. Uh, so definitely a <laughs> massive drop there, but definitely worth pointing out. I'm assuming you're not giving him a shot or any value against Korda because Korda looks, is the much more comfortable player on hard court. Oh, no, definitely not. And Korda, when he played him, absolutely smoked him the last time. It's just something I was scrolling up and saw and was very surprised to see Green at 87 when we saw him last year at the beginning of the year at 17. It's just wild. Yeah, on, on one hand, Korda beat him 6-2-6-3 on grass, so it's a different surface. On the other hand, well Green made it to, to a deep run in Wimbledon on grass. So like, I, I don't know if that actually shows that Court is going to smack him or not, but whatever. Either way, then that's going to wrap it up for the first round of, of our Australian Open match breakdowns. We're back once again for the next round in a day or two. So stay tuned for that. But until next time, Sam, let the people know they can find you and what else you're working on. At Sam Jacob Tennis on Twitter, and I'm working on nothing else but tennis. So if you like a source that just likes tennis, that's me. Yep, and you can find me on Twitter at Rice Show Radio. Still doing a bunch of other podcasts: the NFL game, the NFL gambling podcast, the NBA gambling podcast, occasionally the prop cast, of course, the tennis podcast. A lot of stuff going on. A lot of sports. A lot of fun. And tennis is back in full swing. And we're excited about it. So until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.